there's an image of tea leaves drifting downward through hot water, settling in. So you can just have that feeling of a slow settle, a slow surrender, down and down. Enjoy our little moment of music. having a clear sense of the support of the floor beneath you. can bring in a a sense of the earth, the earth that holds us, the smell of the earth, the feel of the earth. Just in this moment, you can have the feeling, the idea of just giving your body to the earth, giving your weight to the earth. In a sense, we let go of our individual selves, our individual ideas, our sense of separateness. Letting the thoughts relax. Dropping the body, dropping the mind. Let the heart relax. Just allowing yourself to be held. 
Let's take a few just deep, generous breaths into the body, just nourishing breaths. Bringing the body back to life. That little urge for life like the inside of a seed that opens, reaching, a little urge for movement, an urge for birth. So from this place of relaxation and openness and trust, seeing if you can feel that little impulse toward taking birth, coming to life, and in a way that's not controlling, just sort of finding that moment Finding the impulse that just invites an invitation to move to maybe the fingers, maybe the toes, maybe an easy rolling of the head, whatever the body asks for. kind of deep listening, inward listening. And then take your time and just relax onto your right side before coming up to a seated position. Welcome. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the teachers here today and tomorrow, mindful movement class. Is anybody new? You're new? Welcome. You're new too? Welcome. Just to let you know, there's two bathrooms upstairs and two in the basement. And if you have any questions, just come come up to me during the breaks and talk to me. Um... So our intention with this workshop is uh, to explore 
uh, movement and embodiment as it connects with uh, freedom and freedom of the heart. Um, and this is a brief outline of what we're going to do together. So this first half hour is just an introduction of ourselves and the course. And then each one of us are going to do a 90-minute session. So Mark's going to lead it tonight. And then, I will, and then the rest of us will be leading 90-minute sessions tomorrow. Okay? And there'll be breaks here and there. So that's the outline of what we're going to be doing. And we all have a different take on mindfulness and movement. So um, who are we? So this is a brief introduction. This is Mark Nunberg. He's the founding uh, co-founder of Common Ground here. He's been a yoga teacher and has taught Qigong for like 20 years. And then uh, Steve Compton, um, he's a Chinese medicine practitioner, and he also teaches Qigong. Uh, Wynn Fricky is... Uh, uh, co-founder of Common Ground, and uh, she teaches yoga, and is a co uh, is a is a dancer and a choreographer, and teaches at McAllister. And um, and we're all going to do a little bit of an introduction on kind of what brought us to this point today. And I'm going to start with me, and then and then we'll move through, and we'll take just a couple minutes for each one. So. Um, my name is Sarah Wilson, and I'm in the Dharma Leadership Training here at Common Ground. And it's uh, a two-year program, and it's almost ending. So I feel really fortunate to be in that. And uh, okay, so uh, what brought me into this position to even be up here today? Like some of my thinking about like embodiment and 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 like starting to feel those kernels, and I really came to like. Uh, I came to a place of me as a kid and feeling free in my body, playing and moving. And some of those moments where it's really my, my most like embodied and happy times as a kid was, was moving in my body. So those are some of the kernels of this feeling of freedom. And I started to notice it even as a child, like that sense of opening through movement, opposed to uh, tightness and stress with non-movement. So just like stuck in school, you know, things like that. Um, I was able to take a language class in high school here in Minneapolis that offered Chinese. And the teacher brought in a Tai Chi teacher. And I started Tai Chi at a very young age, at 17. I got really into it. I started taking lessons with her, and she'd go, you know, you're doing really well, but you're not all here. You've got a monkey mind. When you come to our class, you really need to show up with your whole mind and your body. And it really was one of the key, I I really got on fire with that, because she was right. I was 17, and I was like, you know, um pushing myself into, like, even drugs and alcohol. And it, it really, I, like, I went high to the classes because I was a kid, and that's what people did, and that's what I did. Avoidance tactics, distraction t- tactics, right? And the Tai Chi was a great opener for me to really show up mind-body with this movement. 
And so it gave me a great foundation. And as time went on, um, I've got notes because I've never done this before. Um, as time went on, Tai Chi became like a measuring tool for me doing good. Like I was okay when I did these practices. So um, as t- also as time went on, because that's like 35 years ago, I got, um, I developed this inner, this place inside of myself that was, that was being cultivated with the Tai Chi and the Qigong movements, uh, which felt like a safe place, a, a place of resilience. So when things were really hard, I can kind of take it in and go to that place and, and, and respond to the difficulties from that inner cultivated Qi place. So, um, um, and as time goes on, and I'm going to teach in the morning, there's going to be, like, Tai Chi is kind of complicated. And as time has gone on, I've really learned the benefits of simple movements repetitively and how that can help cultivate an inner uh, calm, stability, resiliency. So, um, that's my little introduction, and then uh, we're going to go to, I think, I think you're last. No, I think Steve's last. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Really nice to be here for this day and a half exploration, and um, yeah, it seems so <clears throat> central to the Buddha's path of awakening, this uh, recognition that there's no awakening and there's no freedom, there's no real wisdom, and maybe probably no real love without this, um, I don't even want to call it an integration of mind and body, because that statement itself, I think, is suspect, you know, that there's a mind and a body that need to be integrated, as opposed to there's something that's being misunderstood that can be better understood. And I think that's a lot <clears throat> of what we'll be doing here these next couple of days, or today and tomorrow, is understanding what this is, this experience of mind-body, this experience of heart-mind-body, as not two things that need to be sort of brought into harmony, and, you know, we have to wrestle the mind and teach it how to get along with the body and have to teach the body how to accept the dominion of the mind and, you know, behave. And But really um, approaching it from a more fresh way or more experiential way, this relationship between in the mo- mind and body and what freedom, what ease is in life in this experience of mind-body, this embodied reality that we have, we've always had. We don't know anything outside of this experience of mind and body. And um, I think one of the helpful models to get us away from the duality of mind-body is just to, it seems more experiential to talk about things in terms of more subtle expressions of this experience of being a human being and more gross 
not gross in a negative sense, but gross in a, you know, in a more obvious or more concrete sense, right? There are more gross expressions of my life, of my experience as a human being, my experience as a mind-body thing here, and there are more subtle expressions of my life. And I wonder how I might, like in terms of a theme, a sense of what we're doing here together, I wonder what a more, like living from a more integrated or living from a more sensitive, a more aligned way, what that way of being, that way of living would look like. Where the different, like in the yogic tradition, they talk about the different uh, sheaths, more subtle, more gross sheaths. So the energy body, you know, what we feel sometimes as vibration, that would be sort of a middle sheath, you know, and the kind of the weight and hardness of our body would be the more gross sheath. And on a sort of more subtle level would be maybe the the level of view, like how the mind constructs its place here and now, how it locates, understands its location, sense of self or not, maybe a more subtle expression of what this dance of body-mind is right now. So I'm really, I feel like uh, there's really no Dharma path, no path of awakening, path of freedom, without some acknowledgement that everything, ha- everything, everybody, every part has to come along for the ride. It's not like we transcend the density in order to experience freedom, right? It's really more um, whole body, whole life, all the messiness included. So that's the adventure. I'm hoping that we'll be moving through together this weekend. My name is Wynne, and uh, it's a pleasure to see you all here tonight. uh, my disciplines are primarily yoga and dance, and um, yeah, and the way I came into meditation was actually through dance. Um, I, I just had uh, a lot of terror as a performer, and um, and I was having difficulty working with my mind, and I, I, I think I had enough of an instinct that it wasn't something I could figure out, you know, by thinking about it. I, I saw the just the level of agitation, mental agitation, and, you know, I need to quiet down. Um, and so that brought me to meditation and my very first meditation practice of watching the breath in the body. And I tell you, it, um, it sort of became uh, an immediate refuge, like this discovery of locating the attention... <laughs> somewhere outside this train of fear, of mental proliferation, into the felt sense of the body, into the movement of the breath, in, you know, and the sense of stillness, the sense of space that um, created a different reality, in a sense, and poked holes in, in all the views that were kind of held in the mind that were sort of fueling these afflictive mind states. So um, seeing, seeing the sort of 
movement into the body as, as protection, a movement toward relaxation, toward simplicity, away from complication, away from proliferation or papancha. I love that word in Buddhism, papancha, the endless streaming, chewing of the mind. Um, and so that's sort of like, I have to say, it's like uh, the movement of the breath is sort of my uh, first sort of joy in embodiment, first freedom in embodiment. And, and you know, in my career as a dancer, also just appreciating the, the power of dance as a, a, a way to just express, you know, as a way to give motion to just the swell of a feeling, you know, emotional feeling, mental feeling, like um, Utejania calls emotion like an organized crime of different elements that come together. It's, it's, and, um, but, but dance and music and just the opportunity to be fluid and porous and fall through space, that also disrupts <laughs> um, clinging ways of being, you know? So, um, uh, and, and also for me, just the confidence of being in the body, the confidence of being responsive, of being nimble in a physical way, um, it, it feels like it helps me navigate through life, like that skill of, of nimbleness, uh, bodily nimbleness. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, in, in dance, there's a lot of touch. And in terms of sila, it's like you have to be a good listener. You, you have to really kind of let go of your own agendas and attend to who you're in the space with, who you're lifting, who's lifting you. And it's a, it's a beautiful um, training in cooperation and collaboration, um, just in, a, in an embodied level. And I believe that that transfers uh, into different territory. I really feel like if our Congress had to do a little contact improvisation before every meeting, really, like they have to learn, they have to touch each other, you know, because we, we start to let go of constructs. We, we feel something real, <laughs> something warm. Sila, that's like a Buddhist word for morality. Um, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of things that brought me to the understanding of um, embodiment and the importance of paying attention to feedback from your body. A oh, a little closer. Okay. F- to feedback from your body. I had a, I, for many years, I had a very severe back pain um, that would flare up periodically. And uh, I practiced yoga, I, I uh, practiced meditation. I did uh, Tai Chi. Um, uh, I tried chiropractic. I tried going to the medical doctor. You know, nothing seemed to relieve this back pain. And it was associated, I come to realize, with a birthmark I had on my back um, that really looked like a big bruise, but it had been there since I was born. And um, I'd seen an acupuncturist, but then one day somebody said, you should go see this Chinese guy He's practicing over in Midway area at the acupuncture school, and uh, so I went to see him, and uh, he did a treatment on me that I'd never, nobody had ever done before. Uh, it's called Circle the Dragon. They put needles around in a circle around the area 
They put moxa, moxa, which is an herb that is burned and heats the needles, penetrates through the needles. It's a very dramatic-looking treatment, I can tell you that. It's kind of scary when you're lying on your stomach and somebody's lighting fire on your back um, with needles. <laughs> uh, but I, it, it made such a dramatic impact on my, my pain level. It made me realize, boy, there, there was a deep trauma there. And he, this is the way he explained it. There was a deep trauma there from my birth, and it needed something dramatic to change it. And this you know, signal from the needles and the heat made a big difference. And within, I would say, six weeks of treatment, you know, the pain was almost completely gone. I've had a little bit twinges since then, but nothing like that. That's what really got me headed in the direction of studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture. But um, I just tell the story because it, I think it has, a, it speaks to the, the fact that our life experiences can even the ones we can't remember, this is something, you know, I, it happened when I was born. You can't remember it was a trauma still that I carried with me, and it took a long time to unravel it. I was in my 40s before I figured this out and got treated for it. Um, so that really brought me to a kind of the understanding that you really have to pay attention to those feelings in the body. And, you know, in mindfulness meditation, we're always focusing on, well, how does it feel now? What's the body telling us? What's the feedback? We're breathing. We're focusing on the present. Um, and, you know, this is used in psychotherapy. I've had that experience, too, of being in psychotherapy and the psychotherapist saying, pay attention to that feeling. What goes into it? What image does it bring up? And you get tremendous insights from that. So I think learning to pay attention to our bodies in different ways Movement, where is the movement restricted? How can we free it up? What does it feel like to have it freed up? Those are all so important. Um, so that brought me a lot to Qigong that we practice here at Common Ground and uh, really deeply appreciate the fact that we have this center where we can do that practice and come together for that purpose. So that's the end of my story. and. I wanted to kind of wrap this part of the the presentation tonight up with seeing if anybody here has a story about embodiment, something personal, something that you could share with us about freeing up from the body. Um, any experiences that maybe one or two of you want to share? My name is Sharon, and a long time ago, a friend of mine asked me, uh, it was probably, probably had maybe 10 years of sobriety at that time, and a lot of, a lot of attention to detail as far as uh, claiming my life. She asked me if I would like to go to a movement class with her, and yes, I would like to. And in this movement class, the uh, instructor had us moving around, tossing a ball, and I was so frozen. Inside of me, I wanted to curl up under a table in a fetal position. I was shocked, uh, ashamed. Um, I don't even remember what I did. My, I, I do believe my mind just blanked out, and I got through it because I'm here. And today, if you'd like me to, I'd get up and twirl. 
I mean, I have a freedom within me today, which, but that was a remarkable experience to teach me how uh, frozen I, I, it was so surprising to me, and, t- and today is very different. I've been quite aware for a very long time that I, I've experienced a lot of trauma and that it's still trapped in my body, and I try to avoid my body a lot or avoid the feeling. But I had this one experience um, about 10 years ago. I happened to be staying at a place in California, and someone said across the street is the best massage center in America, which got my attention. And I, I just knew I needed this, and I went and I put a 90-minute massage on a credit card with an incredible Chinese man who specialized in releasing energy. And this man worked on me for 90 minutes, and I'll never forget what I felt like. It must be what it's like to be on heroin. Because I walked out of there, and it was like my entire head was smiling. My entire body was shining. And usually, you know, when you have a massage, it maybe lasts a couple hours. This went on for three days. I was, I've never felt like this in my entire life. It was sublime and lovely. And... Um, gives me a sort of glimmer of what is possible for us, for how us, you know, we can, we can be like this. It's not impossible. So anyway, I have that kind of uh, vision in my head. Yeah, I guess I'd like to share, um, you know, being a larger woman, I've always had difficulty you know, thinking I can do this movement or do that movement, and always uncomfortable, you know, like, I'm not going to get down on a mat and do yoga because, you know, everybody's going to be looking at me. And, um, you know, body image was really an issue. But I finally went, I went to a class and did some yoga, and this teacher was amazing, and she just, and she's still my teacher today. Um, But... I remember, I think I was with her in this specific group for people with body issues uh, for about a couple years. And finally, I remember the day that I went to public. I was in the public, I said to myself, because I could actually feel comfortable in my body to do yoga in front of other people. Um, and I think that's that was amazing to me because now I don't have the same issues around my body. My body still has its issues about what it wants to do and can't do, but I'm, I'm giving it all the opportunity that I can, and it's from the yoga that helped. Maybe one more? Um, I, I, I'm someone that was uh, very natively uh, disconnected from my, my body and really identified with the activity um, in my head, but um, somehow that uh, mental activity, like, still, like, very strongly intuited, like, starting uh, around the time that I was in college, that there was, like, 
something very valuable valuable to be gained from uh seeing like what was like stored in the body and that it was sort of this like repository for emotions and experience and um yeah i guess uh lately after uh many uh <laughs> gentle uh reminders from mark to this end it's it's been more of like an exploration of like just even seeing like the uh the controlling patterns of like trying to like fix the posture like fix the body and to like observe how strong the the patterns or the habit to separate from those sort of intense experiences are even in the face of uh wanting to do just the opposite of that um and then uh also on uh a retreat that uh Winfrey helped develop that I went on in uh, New Mexico that had some movement components like uh one of the activities that she led there um was like a free movement like based off of some picture- pictures and like just dovetailed very like perfectly with my my practice and like really seemed to be uh a sort of like medicine that put me put me in touch with like a different way of relating to my body and the sensations and experiences there and uh so yeah i guess i've always taken note of the the power of <laughs> things that are outside of the habitual scope thanks So, as Sarah mentioned, <clears throat> we're, each of the four of us were going to take a 90-minute slot and do some exploration. So I'll do tonight, and then Sarah and Steve will do tomorrow morning, and Wynn will do tomorrow afternoon. So that's how we're going to sort of share. And that way, the, the rest of us up here, we get to enjoy, you know, be part of what the three others are presenting, too. So I'm feeling a little awkward sitting right in front of the Buddha. So maybe, wouldn't you mind just shifting down? I think the Buddha is okay with it, but I'm not okay with it. (laughs) That way you can also see the altar. And I think we're also, maybe Steve, claim this spot right here, because we'll need a little, each of the four of us will need a little space. And Sarah, you might want to shift down a little bit too, so you have plenty of space. And then also I think... Um, we don't, I mean, I think this kind of lining up is, it may be efficient, but it's also something I'll talk about after our first movement exercise, this uh, expression of the dominion of the mind over the body is this sort of square room and the way we're sort of sitting in here. But it is nice to be kind and respectful for each other, to give each other space, but it doesn't have to look like a geometric pattern. It might but we don't need to impose that. Um, and make sure you have something like, if you feel you're better with the chair, then bring a chair to wherever your area is. So you have a little microcosm of earth for your uh, movement. And some of you might want a mat, and it will be lying down a little bit again. So if you want a pillow for the back of your head, make sure that's nearby you. But don't take more stuff than you need, because we'll be moving around, walking around, including into other people's spaces. So we don't want people to be tripping or having to navigate a lot of stuff. So does that make sense? So kind of spread out so that we're really using the corners. Everyone has a spot. Have a chair near you if you think you'd like to be sitting in a chair versus sitting on the floor. Either way is fine. And we're not going to be, well, a little bit later we'll be sitting for a longer period of time. Um, 
would be doing some breathing practice, so you might want to make sure you have something that you'll be comfortable. No, they can leave the mat out, because we can walk over the mats, but just if you want to move in a different spot, like there's some spaces up there, right? just so we've got a little bit more room to move, you're not so close together. Yeah, bring your, all your stuff in one spot, if that makes sense. And then just plant yourself in one way once you got your spot and you, you feel like you have enough space in your spot to lie down, to sit, to stand. Right? You need to be able to do those three things at least and plant yourself either in a standing or a sitting posture to begin. Either one is fine. And uh, one thing we can probably acknowledge as human beings is that we have habits around the body, right? And some of, our, some of us in the room, our habit is to hold back a little bit. And some of us, our habit is to act out. In a way, both, like holding back and acting out is a way to protect ourselves. One of those ways isn't better than the other way. You know, if you're one of those people who kind of are overly whatever that would be, expressive, or somebody who's sort of more repressed and holding back. It's not like one's better than the other, but just to know it, because in the exercises that we'll do and the uh, practices that we'll do, you want to be aware of whatever your habit is so that you can play, play, that's a good word, important word for what we're about to do, the edge a little bit. Because play involves excitement, and excitement comes when we're on the edge a little bit of what we're comfortable with or on the edge in terms of new territory, right? And then for this first movement, we'll do it, I don't know, for five or ten minutes. I'll see what the energy is like in the room. But uh, the idea is to notice two threads. One thread would be kind of following, typically we would, figure out what we're supposed to, doing, supposed to do and we'll take our cues, a lot of us at least, would take cues from like what other people are doing. So that's just know that we will have a way like to take Mark's instructions and to think about them and then whatever those thoughts are, that will guide what we do. Or you could practice, and this is the instruction, which is as you're standing or sitting, most of you are standing, um, then any movement that we do is following a thread of pleasure. So if you're going to think about anything, you're thinking about like, what is, what is the experience of pleasure? What does feel good? Right? And then you, the mind, the heart will look, notice. right? And so any movement that comes out of pleasure feels good, then that. But when we notice that the mind is telling the body what to do, then in a gentle, you can even, I, I don't, do I really need to tell my, my body what to do? No, I don't need to tell my body what to do. You can do whatever you want. You can sit down, you can stand up. Your movements can be very subtle, even contained to one particular part of your body, just exploring a pleasurable movement in your hand. Right. So for some of you who are more shy, then 
it won't be a big movement and you can just begin to explore even as we're standing here together, right? So it's not like there's going to be a bell and then you start, right? But the idea is for five, ten minutes or so, we're learning to listen to that thread of pleasure and at the same time, we're going to have to be really interested in an unjudging way about that part of the mind, that habit of the so-called mind having dominion over the body, taking its cues, trying to do it right, fear of doing it wrong. Remember your stretches, your movements can be big, they can be subtle, they can be on the floor, they can be standing. The only sort of don't do, don't get in the way of other people doing their thing. That's the only rule, right? Give everyone, as much as you can, give other people their space and uh, try not to need other people to notice you, right? So that you're just your own, following your own pleasure, uh, that's all you get. You get your own pleasure by listening to it and letting the body follow it. Is that enough? Okay, so let's just start. And feel free, like, you don't have to keep your eyes open, especially if you're doing smaller movements. But of course, if you're moving around, keep your eyes open so that you're safe, you're not going to trip over a cushion or whatever. And just start to move. And we get to learn to follow what feels good. Whatever those stretches, those movements, on the floor, on our feet, any way the body wants to move, that feels good. And remember, you don't really know what's going to feel good, so there's always going to be a little trial and error, and then you might start something and realize, oh, that doesn't feel good, and then you'll back off. There has to be a willingness to go to the edge to really uncover what might feel good in the body. And this movement, of course, might naturally involve touching, right? Because we can touch the body, that's part of movement. And part of what we're observing is, and it's totally okay because it's just the way it is, that the mind's, for many, many reasons, it's a little bit afraid of allowing the body and mind to follow the thread of pleasure. Feels like it should take control of this. So as many times as you need to, just remind yourself there's nothing dangerous and moving in ways that feel good. There's nothing dangerous at all.
And be willing to challenge yourself. Like if you ever get to the point where you're feeling a little bored, and then just really challenge yourself in a kindly way. Like, are you sure? I mean, there's no way the body can express movement that might be interesting and pleasurable at this time. You've really checked it out enough to be sure that there's really nothing the body can do that would feel good. It's interesting how the thinking mind can even be judgmental. Like if you end up doing some predictable movement, like if you've done a lot of Tai Chi and you do some of the Tai Chi movements, it's really interesting to catch the judging mind wanting to like, take control. You're just doing that. You already know that. You're afraid of doing... So just look at those overlays that come from the mind and just... Know what they are. They're just that, just those thoughts. Just another expression, another movement of fear. And that's okay. And another way to play, remember that's what we're doing, we're playing with the body, is to feel it in terms of the more subtle or the more gross layers or aspects of what the body is, what the body and mind is. Right. So like, as we're continuing to move for a few more minutes, we could start at the subtle end and just like whatever idea, whatever quality of the mind, thought, or whatever is subtle, then the movement can move, look like that more subtle aspect of whatever is here 
as mind, as movement. So if you're feeling sad, right, or if you're feeling free, then the movement can just be a natural expression of whatever it is that's subtle in the moment. Or you could start at the other end of the spectrum, you know, and you just got this flesh and these muscles and these bones and you've got nails and you have teeth. You're an animal that's hungry or full or wants to be safe, wants to survive, and you can move in that way too. So that our movement is fluent whether it's coming from what's gross or what's subtle. So make sure you explore both ends of that spectrum, moving like a beast, moving as energy, maybe as more middle, a flow, and then at the more refined end of things, moving as like a movement of love, a movement of freedom, a movement of space, unrestricted knowing or whatever refined ideas make sense in your heart, body, mind. about uh, one or two minutes. And the simple part of the instruction is we're just moving, following some thread of pleasure, moving in a way that feels good. It's that simple. And the next... 30 seconds or so, slowly coming to some comfortable, relatively comfortable standing, sitting, lying down posture. Any of those three will do, it doesn't matter. Really appreciating the functionality, practicality of the three postures of sitting, standing, lying down, whatever one the body is inhabiting, feeling, oh yeah, I got this. I got the lying down, I got the sitting, I got the standing, whatever it is. And we're going to practice a simple 
practice of integration. I'm going to ring the bell. And when you hear the bell ring, each time you hear the bell ring, you're just going to move from one posture to the next. And we're going to add the fourth, which is walking. So when you walk, make sure not to get too much in anybody else's space. Be graceful, take turns, navigate the space as you walk around the room. So each time you hear the bell, you have to switch from whatever posture you're doing, walking, sitting, lying down, or standing, to another posture. And I'm going to ring the bell with a long interval to begin with. So you have lots of space to move from whatever posture you're in to whatever posture you decide to go to. Is there a right posture to go to from the one you're in? No. You just get you can choose whatever one you want to go to from the one you're in. And then you just in that posture, walking, standing, lying down, or sitting, until you hear the bell again. Now the thing is over a number of minutes, I'm going to increase the speed, so the shorter interval. And the idea is can we be the mind, body, heart, can it be together? and each of the postures, and in the transitions from one posture to the next, it will be relatively easy when we're just going slowly, relatively challenging as we move. And it's like, it's a game, it's play, right, to be just doing this game together, to move from one posture to the next, right? It's very simple but we're doing it in awareness, with awareness. Do we need greed? Do we need fear? Do we need to be controlling to do this? I mean, you can use those emotions or those qualities of mind, but they're not needed, right? So maybe it could be a practice of freedom, just, I mean, it's relatively simple, much more complicated to go out and do everything else we have to do in life. But let's just move from posture to posture to posture to posture with this intention of being free and happy in the body and mind. Okay, so here's the first bell. Sitting, walking, standing, lying down. Really inhabit, once you get to the posture you're going to be in, really inhabit it 100%. Whatever it is you're doing, walking, standing, lying down, or sitting, until you hear the bell again.
feeling at home in one of the four postures, really owning it, body, mind, heart. Not afraid of emotion, not afraid of thought. Everything belongs, right? Even if you're like rejecting what's going on or whatever the mentality might be, that's okay. You have rights to any thoughts, any emotions, any physical sensations. Just being real, this body-mind thing happening. Remember, if you're doing a stationary posture, really keep owning it moment by moment by moment. It's not a passive thing, even though the body's still. Really appreciating it, owning it, rooting in it, alive in it. We'll go a little faster, about 20, 15 to 20 seconds now. I mean, you don't have to walk faster necessarily, but the interval will be shorter. As if this were the most important thing, just to be real in the body-mind, honest, sensitive, now we'll go to about 10 seconds per movement, so a little faster still. Staying right with the physicality.
with a little bit more playfulness, maybe down to seven seconds or so. We're just switching from one posture to the next. If you're walking, walk back towards your mat, and then standing or sitting, lying down by your mat. Just let things settle. Everyone can return to their mat. And then maybe find a comfortable sitting posture near your mat, on your mat. Use a chair. We'll be talking together for a little bit, and then we'll do some breathing practice. So have what you need around you. We don't have a lot of time, but it'd be nice maybe to hear from one or two people. Any, just any uh, reflections that arose in these practices about the body mind, this activity of our life here? Yeah, please. Yeah, at the beginning I was thinking about this phenomenon when you teach a class, and always the students sit in the same places, you know, even when you try to encourage them to move around, they always sit in the same place. And when we started with the exercise, I noticed that there was like an instinct and kind of like a fear of going far from my mat, from my place, you know? Like, and a thing of like being uncomfortable, like laying down or sitting like anywhere, you know? And it was a very good exercise, you know? After a few minutes, I started feeling comfortable with like, I can lay down wherever I want wherever I am, and I'm fine. Uh, like, it doesn't matter that people are walking around, you know, nobody's going to step on me or going to trip over, you know, everything is fine. And it made me think a lot about this thing, about um, how difficult it is, I mean, at least for me, because I'm still beginning with this, to be mindful during the day in different situations. Like, in my daily practice in the morning, meditating in my room is fine. You know, but during the day, it, to feel mindful in the bus or anywhere else is so hard because it's not where I should be or it's not where I meditate normally. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good. Is it Marcelo? Marcelo. Yeah, thanks, Marcelo. That's really good. And I think it goes right to what we're about to talk about in a moment, um, which is really this... Uh, it was, I was having this great conversation with a Venezuelan... Um, person who's done a, he's a pretty well-known modern dancer, dance for Susan Marshall, a well-known choreographer, 
and he's also a cook at IMS where I teach in Massachusetts. And uh, Marlon is his name. And he was, he was just like going on this riff about how the mind has colonized the body. And it was just, we had this amazing conversation about body and mind. And I think in a surprising way, what you were talking about, Marcelo, is similar to that. This, it's like the mind says, this is my place, which then means every other place is not my place like on the bus or wherever it might be. And that's, that's an idea. That's the mind colonizing the body or the mind maybe more accurately colonizing life because it's not just colonizing the body. It's sort of like no one's in control here. I better step forward and I'll be in control. You know, and this is my place and I'm in danger if I'm not in my place. But my place, you know, it's my place. Yeah, thanks. Maybe time for one more. Well, I was just going to say, or you can go to the other way that this is my space, and what is somebody else doing sitting on my chair? Mm. I found that when I was walking around, somebody grabbed this chair, and I'm like, but this is my chair. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, so let's, let's go on. We'll do some talking, discussing for a little bit, and then uh, we'll do some more movement stuff before we end at 9 o'clock. I forget if I said this, but uh, sort of my session tonight is entitled, It's All Movement. (laughs) And uh, I think it's a really good way, like if someone were to ask us and we were forced to articulate what the heck's going on being a human being, it's probably a pretty good verbal answer if we had to give a verbal answer or an answer in language to say, it's all movement. Whatever it is, it's in motion. There's nothing that's not in motion. Right? It's all movement. It's all in motion. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit and talk together a little bit too. And as I mentioned in the opening statement, you know, uh, this whole idea of duality between the mind and body, and we talk about that in Buddhism, and we talk about that in a lot of places, it's probably way overly simplistic. And instead of thinking about, because our actual subjective experience, and you can check right now, right? our subjective experience of our life right now, and in any moment we bother to check, is that it's this. Right? Like, not, not imposing an idea on our experience right now, but just, checking like what is it to be sensitive so what the what's the mind or whatever you want to call it you know what is being felt or experienced is this it's not two things it's just this is being known this is my life i could call this mind body or i could just call it this is being known this experience is being known, being felt, right? It's just one thing. I don't have to, my mind or whatever, doesn't have to divide this up. So that's like an interesting thing to keep it whole, not to immediately feel like we have to, you know, fragment it. And it's just interesting too to 
get a sense of the baggage we have around, like when we say the word, just notice now what comes to mind when you repeat, hear me say or repeat after I say it, the word mind, my mind, my mind. Just repeat that a few times in your mind and notice the flavor or reaction, response, whatever. And then contrast it with the word body. Mind, body. Just to get a sense of the conditioned response to those two concepts, mind and body. Anything come to mind, anything you felt or saw, just exploring how your mind, whatever, is conditioned to relate to that idea of body or mind. Anything? Yeah, Andrew. I thought that was such an interesting question. Like the immediately when you said uh, mind, like I could feel just this like sort of like tightening and like the the idea of like a mind over matter kind of uh, came came into my my thoughts. And then uh, body, on the other hand, like even though like I maybe would have thought like oh like body like it's not as like strong you know or like it's a source of like discomfort. Like the association with body was much more like open and receptive, and mind just seemed like tight and controlling and I, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that that would be the reaction. Yeah. Any other distinctions that just arose for you? Yeah, just press. Thanks, Gwen. Well, when you said mind, I, I, I felt sort of capacious and curious and possibility, but and also probably control that, you know, this is something I could be creative with or work with, but body is like a minefield. It's like it's going to blow up or something's going to go wrong or, you know, you, it's just, <laughs> this is really weird. It's, I was going to say, it's, the body seems to have a mind of its own. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and, and it's, sometimes it's just beyond me. Yeah, yeah. Over here, Kathy. And it's nice just to be aware of the movement to pass the mic, and it's like really a fun time because of the context of our practice this weekend. It felt like a geography. The mind was the geography that was in my head, and the body was everything else. And you thought mind, and again, so it was, it was a sense of a, of a geographical place when you talked about mind. Yeah, which I and like was interesting. It would be interesting to try to get mind someplace else. Yeah, because with geography, we have possession too, don't we? I mean, it actually sort of fits with the whole concept of colonization, like my land. my. And it's like when we talk about some of the <clears throat> Western religious traditions of being the steward, humans being the stewards of the earth, right? And the dumb animals, and we're, we're this responsible. And it's a little bit can be the same, the mind being the steward of the dumb beast of the body, too. Yeah, go ahead. Who would like to go next? Yeah, please. 
Well, I just felt much more fullness when I was with body. It just felt like large, full of possibilities. Wow. Thanks. Who'd like to go next? Um, like Andrew, I felt like the mind was um, sort of a controlling space, and, and I, I stayed with it a while, and I didn't really know what to make of it. And then when I went to the body, I was like, oh, feminine. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, was that masculine? <laughs> so I, I kind of have to work process that a little more. But we'll use, you know, this is the interesting thing, we'll use what's in the air, and the whole patriarchy is in the air these days, right? And, and the key, I think, will be is not to pathologize any of it, but just to understand it, like just to read it, to see it, to get how things move and don't move, right? How power works here, there, everywhere, right? As opposed to like, uh, I mean, this is like how we keep recreating oppressive systems, right? Is that we meet, we feel like, like power needs to be overthrown instead of power needs to be understood. And that may lead to radical change, but it doesn't, it doesn't come from this presumption that I know what should be done. It comes from the presumption that however off, like if the balance is off, it is arising, the imbalance is arising because it's not being felt, it's not being understood. We're driving blind or we're driving unaware. We're moving in an un, from an unintegrated place. So what's not being seen, what's not being felt? There's a... What was it? Maybe our workshop? I forget. Anyway, I was quoting, I think, Ajahn Sushito, and he talks about unawareness and action. Isn't that a great term? It's like, like there's something in motion, but there's no wisdom, there's no integration, there's no connection in what's in motion. So it's, it can be very destructive in that sense. Yeah, thanks, Margie. Time for a couple more. Yeah, Patrice and then Gretchen. Um, my first response to mind is sort of beloved, precious. And I think this is, again, partly about conditioning. Um, my conditioning as a Catholic girl was that the mind was what the Catholic girl had control over and the body was problematic. And that for boys, that the, the issue was that boys were sort of the slaves of their bodies, and so it was it was very, very binary and um you know just very very problematic and I think that the relationship to the body is something to be controlled, to be covered, to be protected um you know that that for many women that's a really strong imprint and you know and not without reason because women's bodies are so vulnerable to male predation. So I think you said sort of in the air. And so the, the mind was sort of the, the refuge in, in a way. So it's just, I mean, it's, so lots of stuff to work through, work out, integrate, but I really feel that sort of 
deep conditioning as sort of an instinctual response to say, you know, what comes up, you know, so mind is problem solver, body is the problem. Very, very, you know, again, incarnational kind of the the whole um, Western separation and the idea of the veneration of the mind and the um, that the body was always lesser. Um, so, When you said mind, it was already a separate concept. So then when you said mind, it was separate. It wasn't mind-body, you know, it was mind. And so there was this um, sense of uh, kind of a witness, but also a uh, disconnect. And then when you said body, it just went cellular. So there was a um, more how things are in terms of fluidity and being in the movement, you know, the container, the contents, the witness, the ground. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm making any sense. Mm? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't you think that most... Uh, what we might call like authentic spiritual movements, people having some understanding and sharing it, has to do what they're pointing to is some integration, <clears throat> some imbalance, recognizing its imbalance, and that clarity of recognizing the imbalance, feeling into the imbalance, turns out to be. <clears throat> part of the resolution of the imbalance, right? Whether it's like the, whether we talk about it in terms of masculine and feminine imbalance, right? Or cognitive and body imbalance, or assertive and receptive imbalance, that somehow the sensitive system, you and me, are stopping... (laughs) the endless activity of running from the yucky feeling of the imbalance and are actually curious about the imbalance. Oh, something's off here. Something feels off. What is that feeling? Getting curious, being willing to be sensitive. And it just turns out, not because we were trying necessarily to correct the imbalance, but we were trying to have an honest relationship with the imbalance. And that seems to affect the imbalance, to correct, to some degree, at least the imbalance. Just an interesting framing to explore this weekend about the kind of work. Because it would be very easy, I mean, right from the start, to sort of think like the mind, the thinking mind, the conceptualizing mind is the enemy. Because that's that's a very useful thought itself. Do you know what I mean? It's like that thought that the conceptualizing mind has been problematic is the the work of the conceptualizing mind. So it's just too simplistic to, like, and we're just culturally, I think, wired for the good versus evil framing of things. And boy, we've been spinning in that one for a long time. So, you know, just to be on the lookout for the good versus evil and more interested in 
like uh, whatever seems to be supporting interest and intimacy and this uh, movement of humility, like what the heck's going on here? What's being felt here? What is this? Right? And to kind of sense like, oh, that movement seems pretty trustworthy. That seems like healing follows from that humility, from that intimacy, from that like more direct exploration how to be real. And you know, the Buddha maps out these outflows. I, I like that. Asawa is the Pali word. <clears throat> Some of you have heard that. One way it's translated as outflows of the mind. Sort of when mentioned papancha, the proliferation of the conceptualizing mind. Right? So the and we could like in the models we were talking about how colonization happens in the body mind. Because it's not just colonization of the body. Again, that's that good versus evil. It's really colonization of this experience of body and mind. That's what co- the only thing that can get colonized, the only thing that can get tight is this. And what is this? You know, it's this, but if you want to be sort of slightly more specific, we say, well, it's some dance of body and mind going on here. Right? Some activity, movement of body and mind. That's what this is. And it can get colonized, meaning, like, all I know is it feels oppressive. It feels like, for lack of a better word, I'm being oppressed. I'm feeling tight. Right? And sometimes we can momentarily feel like the oppressor. Goddamn body needs to be oppressed, you know, because it's not to be trusted. Or the mind needs to be controlled, right? We can be just as oppressive trying to get the mind corralled as we can trying to get the body corralled, right? Isn't that true? Or corralling, controlling our partners or our, you know, it, it could be anything that we're trying to get on top of, trying to colonize, trying to be in charge of, batten down the hatches. So uh, the three you can, sometimes it's talked about as four outflows, but the three dividing these outflows are talking about outflows, proliferations, colonizing activities, controlling activities, um, confusing activities, distracting activities in three ways. We'll cover the fourth. So one of these outflows is thinking that central experience, nice experience, will take care of us. So it's like we feel oppressed, we feel out of balance, we feel disconnected, and so we're looking for some resolution to that yucky feeling, and we think popcorn, that's the answer. We're going to bed tonight, that's the answer. We're getting a massage, we're going dancing, or watching something on the tube, or Right? But some central experience, falling in love, getting a new partner, hanging out with the cat on the lap, or the dachshund, whatever it is. Right? Sort of some central experience will resolve the yucky feeling. And it does sort of temporarily, so that's, it's not 
it's not that we're ignorant to think that, it's just never complete, never really does the trick. It does the trick just enough to delude the mind that it think that, so that it thinks that it matters. The other outflow is to become, thinking that if I become somebody, if I get my body-mind act together, you know, if I resolve the trauma, if I learn to integrate back into the body, if I learn to have more clarity in the mind, if I really get the Buddha's teachings, if I become the one who understands, become the one who diets and gets the body into shape, or who exercises, or who stretches, or who really learns to be embodied, then it will be resolved. So the if only. So the becoming is always an if only trip. That there's something deeply broken about this, but I can fix it and become someone who's fixed. And then, so it's a, it's a uh, arrogant conviction that it's broken now and out of balance now, but that out of balance can be resolved. And then, and then it will be okay. So there's sensuality, there's becoming, and then there's some kind of fixed view. Just an idea. Now, becoming is a kind of an idea, and even sensuality, that popcorn's going to do it. But the fixed view, so these are overlapping outflows, right? But it's just uh, naming fixed view as an outflow that keeps the mind-body thing, this life, out of balance, right? Is this thinking that an idea, being attached to an idea, being fixed an idea, whatever that idea, it doesn't matter what the idea is. Like that the mind has colonized the body, but we fix on that idea as if it's going to save me. The idea, the certainty of the idea, the rightness of the idea, that's a dead end too. So these outflows, because the nature of the outflow is to keep this moment, this body-mind dance out of balance, sensuality keeps the dance of the mind and body out of balance. Because it's, sensuality is a rejection of this. So that creates a distortion. It makes it out of balance. Needing to become, wanting to become somebody throws us out of balance. Fixing on a view, on an idea, holding to an idea, holding to certainty, also throws us out of balance because this is a dance. It's a movement. It's always movement. Movement is always in motion. So something fixed is going to be a problem. Something that has the appearance of being right, sure, is always going to be a distorting or a disturbing wrench in flow, right? Certainty is a problem. And certainty, like I said, it's like popcorn's going to do it, becoming somebody's going to do it, holding to some idea. Does that make sense? So then th- that's interesting. So if, if that... Uh, these outflows into some kind of certainty, an experience of sensuality, a becoming somebody, a holding to some view, if that's problematic, 
then what's, what's not that? What's not going one of those three ways? And so I thought what we'd do for the next you know, 25 minutes until 9 o'clock is we'd um, first do some more subtle movement with sound, sounding. And we'll use the uh, humming sound, a little bit more complicated than that. But we'll use sound to feel vibration and to learn to feel and see vibration as unrestricted movement. And then wherever in the body, mind, or this, whatever feels like restricted movement, held movement, a knot, or whatever it might, whatever you might call it, then as we're sounding, as we're making sound, vibration, right? Try to feel the sound, hear the sound, in and any place in the mind and body that doesn't feel like it's dancing, vibrating, moving. Does that make sense? And so, you know, there's different, there's a lot of traditions of sounding. So in, like in the yogic system, there's the om sound, the ah, it's kind of low down, and then the, goes from the ah to the o, sort of middle mouth to the mm, front of the mouth, ah, om. So we'll do that for a while. And you can really uh, play with the mm at the end. That can go on for a long time as you're finishing your exhalation. And you can even change the shape of your mouth a little bit as you're making the mmm, right? And the, the sound will change a little bit. And you'll feel it in the body in the different places. And also the intention, like noticing where things might feel held, just noticing that place and noticing the sound you're making and noticing everything is always happening in the same place. Where is it happening? Right here. The only place there is, right here and now. You can call that the heart or the mind or this or the present moment. But every sensation, every part of your body that's being known or felt, and every sound that you'll be making, and any vibration you're tingling, you're aware of, all that's happening in the same place. So notice that it's happening in the same place. That So we're kind of discovering that, like if you have a chronic knot, as I do here in the upper shoulder and side of this side of the neck, right? So feeling the vibration there. Maybe for some of you it's between your shoulder blades or in your forehead or in your groin. So you can send the sound. And we're going to do a three-part breath in, right? So... You, as you're beginning your breath in, because you're going to do a full exhalation, you're going to let the mmm, because you'll be in the front of your mouth at the end of the exhalation, letting that vibration go for a long time without straining your exhalation. Then as you breathe in, you're going to feel the belly expand. You can do this with me. Then your, your rib cage kind of goes out like this. It actually expands in a lot of different directions. And then the upper chest rises a little bit. And then you begin the humming sound, First with the ah, om, and then let it, really let that be the longest part, the, when the lips are together. Mm, you can make it a little bit more nasal, and that will send the vibration more into the head regions. Good if you have sinus congestion, or you can have it mm, lower down, and you'll feel it in other places in the body. So play, right? And we'll, because we're all going to be making sound, 
You won't be embarrassed because no one's going to be able to distinguish your sound from anybody else's and you can make it really loud or you can make it really subtle. And I'll see, I might use the shruti box to sort of mask our own humming so we're not bothering each other. Let's see if I'm forgetting any of the instructions here. I think that's enough. Any questions about that before we begin? So feel free to move so you'll be comfortable sitting for a little bit. And don't worry about using a chair. I really recommend chairs if you're feeling discomfort so you can really get curious. If you're managing painful bodily sensations, you may not have as much fun. And this is play too. It's not work. It's not spiritual awakening. You're just playing with sound. And your body is your sounding board, right? It's just expressing the natural vibrations of your sound. (coughs) So I'm going to play the Shruti Bach just so you won't have to worry so much. And then once you settle in and you kind of get a sense of the tone of the Shruti Bach, then on your own, just... Take that three-part breath, belly expands, rib cage expands, upper chest expands, and then with the exhalation, just start at the back of the throat. Play with different places. We'll be doing it for about five to ten minutes, so you have plenty of time to explore and, and uh, try different tones and whatever, and maybe best to have your eyes closed for this.
Continue to feel and hear the vibration even in the silence. Body alive with movement, mind and body alive with movement. Just a couple minutes. Let's meditate on the movement in stillness. Stillness is also movement. Silence is movement. Everything is movement. Practice trusting that everything is in motion, vibrating, flowing, whatever. Even whatever it is that feels hard or solid or held is also movement. And that's okay that it feels the way it feels. Resting, trusting this orb, this field of vibration that is the body and the mind, the dance of the body and the mind. So even waves of constriction or tightness or just rifts in motion. One way that movement, life, likes to express itself is in this this archetypal movement of birth and death, arising and passing. Let's do this more 
dramatic, I guess, breathing, excuse me, breathing practice called Kapalabhati, skull shining breath. It's, uh, we'll do Kapalabhati and then we'll do Bastrika, which is this diaphragmatic breathing. It really, it, what it involves, well, I've got kind of a fluffy sweater here, but it involves sort of snapping the abdomen in, the diaphragm in, which forces the breath out, and then relaxing the whole abdominal area so the breath just comes back in, because when the belly relaxes, expands that whole trunk area, and the breath just flows in, and then we snap it out again. And if you haven't done it before, sometimes people find it useful to have the hand on the belly, because uh, some people have a habit of going the other way, right? But you want to, so watch me, don't do it, but just watch me. And then after we do that a few times, I'll cue you. Then we're going to breathe in. Let the belly expand slowly in a relaxed way. Then the rib cage expand a little, the upper chest. So nice breath in. We're going to hold it in. Just gently sw- half swallow. Bring your chin a little lower. This is called the jalabanda, a chin lock. And you can gently, and gently is important, gently pull up on your uh, in the perineum, that space between the groin and the anus, like you're pulling up on the floor of your pelvis. So first you lock this and you pull up. And we're holding the breath in for maybe five to ten seconds before you have to exhale in a rush. So do it in an elegant, relaxed way. Bring your chin up, then relax your floor of your pelvis as you begin to exhale. And it's like we're exhaling letting go, like we did at the beginning when wind was sort of guiding us into that death meditation we did at the very beginning. Just let go. And don't plan to breathe in. Probably you will breathe in after you finish a very relaxed and long exhalation. But really, only be be concerned with letting the natural exhalation take its full expression. And then just be curious if your body breathes in. Probably it will at some point. But just let it happen on its own, okay? So we'll do that maybe three times. So sitting comfortably, it's nice to be relatively upright, but relaxed, of course. Feel the softness of your belly. Just breathing normally now, of course. Face, jaw, brow can all relax. Feeling at home here in the dance of the body and mind. And we'll begin. One more time. Then just breathe in, belly expands. Rib cage expands, upper chest expands. Bring your chin down, pull up on your anus, your perineum, hold the breath in for a few seconds. Release your neck, release the floor of your pelvis, a long, relaxed, 
exhalation, just let it happen and notice when the breath begins to come in. Let the breath be normal. Breathing normally. Feeling the movement in the stillness of the body and mind. The flow. Life as a, a bright, vibratory field or dance of body mind right here. And let's begin again. time and breathe in slowly belly expanding rib cage upper chest chin comes down pull up in the perineum hold the breath in releasing the chin relax the perineum exhaling The breath come in when it comes in. Let things settle, put everything down. Let nature be nature, the nature of the body, mind. One more time. time. Take a deep, easy three-part inhalation. Do the chin lock, pull up on the perineum, hold the breath in. Whenever you're ready, a long, easy, natural exhalation. Just trust the body to breathe in whenever it does. And again, completely and fully, without any need for fear, just Trust the vibration of the body and the mind, the dance of the present moment. What a relief we don't have to control or fix or hold it all together.
And for the last minute or two, allow, <clears throat> you might have, find it helpful to allow just a very organic, simple smile to form. It could be very subtle, even the idea of a smile. We'll just be sitting for a couple minutes. This very simple and beautiful love affair between the body and the mind, between the way it is right now, this dance of life as love, love loving, love loving love. The flow, the movement of love, everything belonging, Everything is included as if each cell, each vibration is just some expression of love, serene and kind smile. A glow or vibration of love, kindness. Let's just rest there together, sharing together this space, this vibration of love. Of belonging and caring, appreciating. We'll be ending in just a minute, but we all, all of us, including the four of us up front, we have a homework assignment, which is going home is movement, right? So it's, it's like that integrated being real, being a dance of body and mind, whatever that's going to look like, you know, will look di- different for each of us. And then one of the particular things we can do as we're lying in bed tonight is a little like what we did at the very beginning because part of this dance, right, that there's sort of different cycles, like when we were feeling the vibration of the after the humming when we were in silence, right, you could feel that, a lot of us could feel that vibration, or after the Kabbalah Bhati or the Bastrika breathing, you could feel more likely a sense of vibration. So then the birth and death is very quick. But then like days, that's a bigger cycle, right? It's a 24-hour whatever, you know, where we took birth somewhere, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning or whenever. Right? We were reborn as a human being and moved 
and expressed our life. And now toward the end of the day, pretty quickly, we'll be in bed and really allow that natural movement to death. Right? Really, you can be, some of you like to be provocative. So then be provocative, like merging into the earth. It's like um, Venerable Analia, one of my teachers, he's a German monk and really great translator and, and meditation teacher. And uh, he says every night when he goes to bed, he imagines the elements dispersing, right? So the heat element disperses into cold. The movement element, the air element, disperses into stillness. The earth element dissolves, right, from hardness. It's like, like the mountains eroding. The Appalachian Mountains, for those of you who've been on the East Coast, which, you know, are lucky to get to 4,000 feet. They used to be higher than the Himalayas. So after geological time, right, whatever that is, 20,000 feet of granite or whatever eroded, right? So the body just like turning to dust, eroding, spreading, the earth element dissolving, right? So the earth element dissolves, the fire element turns to cold, the movement element goes to stillness, the water element dries up. Right? And you're just like, and then all the elements coming together somewhere, who knows when it will be for us, you know, and heat returns to the body and movement returns and there's fluid and we'll take rebirth probably tomorrow and show up here at 9.30, right? And, and some of you, you know, we restricted the space for the room because we wanted to be able to move. So some people can't be here. So it's really good to return, right? To, like you signed up, you know, unless you get a bad cold or there's some emergency in your family, to really be here together. We're doing this together, this exploration. So to come back tomorrow at 9.30, bring a lunch. Wynn's going to do an eating meditation for us. That's also movement. So it's really nice if everyone is here together for the lunch. And some of it will be social, I think. We'll, we'll figure out. I don't know if we decided yet. But, uh, and then, you know, if you have your own particular mat you want to use or your own particular blanket or pillow, bring that. Most of you know how the programs are offered freely here. You can support the teachers by leaving a check tonight or tomorrow or going online and donating, and you can designate it for the Mindful Movement Workshop. And uh, we'll just share that among the teachers, and a third of it's kept by the organization to pay for Gabe and the other office staff and the building and things like that. And if you have questions, you can see one of us and we'll explain how the donation system works here at Common Ground. Okay, so here comes our next movement exercise. Have a good evening, everyone. See you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.